Thank you for joining us today on Search for Truth. It's good to have you with us once again, or for the first time if you've just tuned in. You're very welcome, and it's great to have you with us. This is John Martin speaking to you, and with me in the studio, as usual, is our Bible teacher, Brian Johnston. Brian's leading us through a series of studies on the journey of the Ark, and today we reach Gilgal, which you'll see is full of lessons for us. It takes us to Calvary. So, let's begin with our three Irish singers singing Kneel at the Cross, and then Brian will speak to us. At this point, we remain encamped with the Ark at Gilgal, on the farther side of the Jordan River. The people have just crossed that river under Joshua's leadership. Gilgal was their first base in the land of promise, and it became a sort of bridgehead for their early military offensives. In this series, we're keeping pace with the Ark of the Covenant, going with it on its historic Bible journey from Mount Sinai to Mount Zion, or Jerusalem. As we've moved along with it so far, we've already pointed out Old Testament illustrations of New Testament teaching for us as Christians today. But as we'll see today, I hope, there are also lessons to be learnt from the places where it was stationed for a while. Gilgal was one of those places, the first in the land of Canaan, or the Promised Land, to the Israelites. While the Ark remained stationed with the people at Gilgal, some very important things took place there, things from which we can draw spiritual lessons today. Early in Joshua chapter 5, Joshua was told to circumcise the people for the second time. For the second time? Wait a minute, what does that mean? The Bible gives us the explanation that all the generation who had been circumcised in Egypt had died in the wilderness, and all those born in the desert the wilderness generation, had never been circumcised in the wilderness. Now, at the first base in the land, it was time for this to be rectified. When Joshua had finished using the flint knives, the Lord said to him, This day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. It was as though the wilderness years of defeat were now to be put behind them for good. What can we learn from this? Well, one thing's for sure. A life of defeat is always going to be a reproach to God. God's ideal with circumcision was that it shouldn't have remained an outward thing. Circumcision then was literally in the flesh, but there should have been something inward corresponding to it. Romans 2 and verse 29 calls it a circumcision of the heart. What's more, Paul, in writing to the Colossians, in chapter 2 and verse 11, applies the teaching of circumcision to believers today, in this sense, saying that in Christ we were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, 
by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. This is something which is spiritual and entire in the case of every believer. It was at salvation in our experience that the Lord, in a spiritual, surgical act, dealt with the uncircumcision of our flesh, our old sin nature, which was so unprofitable to him. After we are saved, our responsibility is to live up to this. That's why the Bible speaks of us still having to put off the flesh, that is, our old sin nature. We are to see ourselves as God sees us now in Christ. We are to become, in practical terms, what we already are by his grace. This we must do, for remember, the lesson of Gilgal is that a life of defeat is a reproach to God. Either we'll be victimised by the flesh or conquered by the Spirit of God. Like the Israelites then, let's submit to the knife without fear, for it's in the hand of our lover, the Lord, whose word, Hebrews 4 and 12 tells us, is sharper than a two-edged sword. It's a personal question that comes to our hearts from this, isn't it? Can we look back to a time or place in our Christian experience when we definitely renounced the lusts of the flesh, as the Bible puts it, and all the reproach associated with them? Romans chapter 8, the early verses of that chapter, make it very clear to us that before we came to know Jesus Christ as our personal Saviour, we were in the flesh. Whereas now as believers, we are described as in the Spirit. However, though we are in the Spirit as believers, it's still possible for us to live our lives according to the flesh. A life like that would be a life of defeat and reproach for a believer. God wants us to live according to the Spirit. Gilgal, this first station of the Ark of the Covenant, whose travels were following, was also a place of remembrance, as well as a place of renunciation. For after three days there, they kept the Passover. By doing that, by keeping the Passover, they were remembering what the Lord had done for them in bringing them out of Egypt by the slaying of the lambs. For each household of Israel, a lamb, a Passover lamb, was killed. But among the Egyptians, who were not protected in this way, the firstborn son in each family died in the judgment of that tenth and final plague. It was God's will for the Israelites to remember this Passover every year at the same time, to remember what he had done for them to set them free. This also has its counterpart today, For the Lord wants us to remember what he did for us at the cross. As the Apostle Paul says, Christ, our Passover, was slain for us. The Lord has said in his word to us, Remember me. And knowing how short our memories are, he commands us in his word to do this every week, to remember him in the emblems of the bread and the wine. It's a reminder too that we're working from victory. In Gilgal, as we've seen, there was a place of renouncing. And there was also a place of remembering. But there was equally a place of removing. It was there God removed the manna from the children of Israel. After the Passover celebrations, Joshua 
and the people began to eat the produce of the land. Up till then, they'd still been eating the manna, which was the special bread supplied daily from heaven. You see, it's always God's purpose to move us from the exceptional and extreme to the normal supplies of his grace. So, the supernatural deliveries of heavenly bread ended there at Gilgal. It was the same in the time of Jesus' life on earth. There was a demand for signs and wonders. But the normal Christian experience is to know by faith the supplies of his grace through the sometimes perplexing difficulties of life. We are strengthened by his grace as we derive our sustenance and power by faith from his risen life. Before we finish today and take our leave of Gilgal, let's note another very significant thing that happened there. Joshua met the Lord. In those days when Moses was the leader and Joshua was Moses' assistant, Joshua, like the others, would only ever see the reflected glory of the Lord as it shone afterwards in the face of Moses after he'd been speaking with him. Now it was Joshua's turn to be actually face to face with the Lord. We read that a man stood opposite him, a man who revealed himself as the commander of the army of the Lord. There, so reminiscent of Moses' burning bush experience, Joshua was told to take off his sandals, for the place was holy where he stood. Joshua was face to face with the Lord, It reminds me of that lovely hymn, Face to Face with Christ my Saviour. Let's hear that sung now. Face to face shall I behold him, her hymn says. And the Apostle John comments, When we see him, we shall be like him. What a wonderful prospect! Ah, but you say that's future, and so it is, for we wait his soon appearing to take us home. But I do believe that there in John's words we have the great secret of our lives, for it's in seeing him that we can become like him. When we see him, we shall be like him the Apostle John says. That can be our spiritual experience now, seeing him as he revealed himself to the two on the way to Emmaus, that is, seeing him in all the scriptures, while their physical recognition of him was prevented. John 14 tells us that if we love him, he'll manifest himself to us. He'll manifest himself to us in our Bibles. Beyond the sacred page, I see thee, Lord, the hymn says. But it demands holy living, of course, since Hebrews 12 speaks of the sanctification without which no one shall see the Lord. That's now. And to see him is to be like him. Surely we long to see him in our daily quiet times and to have the kind of daily briefing from our great captain that Joshua received that day when he communed with him and said, 
What does my Lord say to his servant? Thank you for being with us today. I hope you enjoyed the programme, and maybe listening to Brian has stirred some questions in your mind. If so, why not share them with us and write in to Brian? He'll be pleased to correspond with you. I'll be giving you the addresses in a moment, but may I remind you once more how you can obtain the transcript book of these 12 studies, so you can get more out of the radio talks by reading and studying its contents. It's available online, and either you can get it yourself by downloading a copy from churchesofgod.info forward slash media, or if you're not able to do that and need to request a hard copy book, just write in and ask for the title The Journey of the Ark. You can use email or the post, and here's our address. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wootton Bassett, Swindon, SN48DY, UK. Our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. We've really enjoyed your company today, so thank you for being with us. Till we see you next time then, it's goodbye and very best wishes from Bible teacher Brian, producer David, singers and me, John. So see you again soon. And in the meantime, we wish you God's richest blessings. Jesus Christ.